I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Bucket Lint Podcast. Coming up on this episode of the Pocket Link Podcast, I talk with the director of forthcoming PSVR 2 game C Smash VRS about it and the future of virtual reality in general. We look at the rumours surrounding the Google Pixel Fold, the company's first foldable handset that's expected to be unveiled in May at Google I.O. And we discuss how ChatGPT and AI assistance could change your driving experience. We also reveal the Pocketlimp product of the week, which has a distinctly Samson-y flavour. Hello there, I'm Rick Henderson and you're listening to the Pocketlimp podcast. This week I'm joined by Pocketlimp's editor-in-chief, Chris Hall, who will look through the news stories of the week with me and choose his product of the week. You good, Chris? Yeah, I'm good. Um, It's going to be a a short bit of chat from us because uh, we've got quite a long interview to get into. So now on with the top tech news. While Samsung has been in the news a lot this week with its launch of new phones in the mid-range Galaxy A series, Google has also been stealing headlines with a handset or two that have been heavily rumoured in recent times. The Google Pixel 7a keeps popping up in leaked images and hands-ons, but it's the fabled Google Pixel Fold that's debatably getting the most attention. It has allegedly appeared in retailers' databases and tipped for a June release, soon after the unveiling at Google I.O. in May. So, Chris, do you think that's likely <laughs> after all this time? And uh, is now the right time for Google to bring its own foldable to the market? Well, it definitely seems to be the year of foldables. Lots of people are getting into them, and Google has been preparing for this for some time. The rumours go back oh, about as far as I can remember. So it's it's no surprise at all that that pixel fold is actually going to happen google io would be a great place to show it off it's been a while since they've actually launched anything uh from a hardware side there um and and yeah so i think it's the right time it it would be exciting and there's plenty of competition in the marketplace already so it, this isn't a new area it's it's really google joining in the fun i mean the foldable market has actually expanded quite dramatically in recent times thanks to Lots of Chinese manufacturers getting in on the action, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. And Samsung obviously was one of the driving forces here. Uh, and it's, it's no coincidence that Samsung Display makes lots of the displays that many <laughs> of these people are going to use. Um, and, you know, with a lot of things that we see Samsung doing, it, it sometimes it looks like it's a showcase of their technology. And it's just as important for them to get a device out and say to the rest of the market, hey, look, we've got the technology to do this. And then people can go off and adopt those technologies and adapt them and turn them into new products. Um, exactly who is supplying all of the displays, I don't know. But between Samsung and LG, they seem to have most of the market stitched up. 
do you think um, Google will have enough differentiators to actually make a splash in this market? With a lot of these Google devices, there's the sort of feeling that they are put out there to showcase Google's software and the products that Google can offer on them. Um, that was always the way with the with the old Nexus phones before the Pixel line launched. Things are more sophisticated these days, and um, I'm a big fan of, of of the Pixel devices, especially from from the camera. Uh, and I and I think that's probably what Google is really going to bring to this. It's going to it's going to keep that camera technology, much of which is driven by computational photography or AI. Um, and they will probably show off Android in a pure form to say, look, we, we have a great platform for whatever development that you want to do on foldable phones. And that in itself will help drive the rest of the market because people will say, okay, so the foundation is stable. We can all go on and expand it and adapt it and make it great. And finally, because Google's now getting in on the action with uh, Samsung already available, um, do you think Apple might eventually take a look at it? I think Apple will have to at some point. They will have to. They'll have to be involved. They'll probably want to join this market. There are rumors floating around, and you know, I think you'd be naive to think that Apple hadn't built some kind of prototype just to see what it would offer. Whether they go down the line of offering a folding iPhone or whether they're going to make an iPad that folds instead is, you know, open to debate. But Apple tends to be one amongst the latest to join these these kind of markets because. They have to get it right. Like they have to get it really right. Whereas Samsung can get it a little bit wrong, and the fans will take it, and they'll, you know, it'll be a sort of experimental thing, and they'll move on. But Apple, they they can't really do that. Excellent. Well, on to our second story of the day, which is that General Motors was also in the news this week as it announced that it's working with OpenAI and Microsoft to utilize ChatGPT as part of a new AI assistant for future cars. It plans for new vehicles in the coming years to be able to give realistic guidance to driver questions, such as how to fix a fault or even book itself a visit into a, for a service or repair at a local garage. Chris, we've heard a lot about AI and ChatGPT specifically, but is this the future for motoring? It's an interesting take, yes. The thing about cars is that they spend a lot of time, or car manufacturers, they spend a lot of time developing these these systems in the cars. And so many of them are so incredibly bad, unfortunately. We've really seen them get outpaced by the sort of voice assistants that you get um, from from Amazon and, and from, from Google and, and even Apple's own Siri uh, that are much, much more sophisticated in, in what they'll do. But moving on to somebody else's model gives these manufacturers a chance to do away with a lot of the development work they may have may, they may have had to do to provide something that's much more intelligent. And I imagine that in this situation, they can feed the manual to the machine learning algorithm and it will be able to then decipher from what you say where it would fit into the manual. Be quite funny though if it has some of the properties of Chat GPT currently has, where it just gets aggressive if you if you keep asking it extra questions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of this stuff is slightly unpredictable at the moment, but at the same time, we're seeing some amazing things come out of it. And while there's a huge debate around how much AI should be involved in parts of our lives, uh, anything that can give you a better experience is going to be appreciated. It just, yeah, it definitely needs to be kept under control. Otherwise, you'll find yourself being directed to somewhere you don't want to go. I think the other thing that um, was quite interesting, and this is this came from Mercedes-Benz, is that um, 
car manufacturers seem to be wanting to pull away from reliance on the smartphone and and services like Apple CarPlay and Android Auto and have their own systems and own ecosystems. They want to own that market themselves. Um, is this something we can expect in the nearish future? Definitely, definitely. And this is um, we're, we're we're going full circle here from from car manufacturers developing their own systems to then using somebody else to then realizing that they're basically giving data to other people. And so a lot of a lot of this is about who owns data and who has the rights to that data. And that's especially true for a company like BMW who came forward and said, we don't want to be giving all of our customers data to somebody else. So the way that you use your car, they don't want to share that with Google, even if Google is involved in developing their in-car system. So protecting the data and protecting customers' privacy as well is is a big part of this process. So yeah, you can expect to see a lot of a lot of car manufacturers saying, actually, we may have been a bit liberal. Let's try and take some more of this stuff in house again. Uh, and lastly, do you think that um, paywalls and subscriptions are also part of that? Unfortunately, they seem to be. Um, we saw this the first time that I really encountered this was with Tesla, where. Um, where you could buy a car and then pay an extra fee to suddenly have more power. And it's like, well, the car has all of that in it already. So you're just making one car and then locking off the features, which is very different to you know, the old way of doing things where you would order a car and it would be built to spec. Now it just seems that the car is built and then you get access to whatever you're, you're digitally subscribed to. If it's a cheaper way of manufacturing, and makes it easier, then I suspect that there will be more of these kind of digital subscriptions. And that might mean that you can buy your car and not pay for the heated seats. And then when it sells on the secondhand market, the next person can say, I want my heated seats, and then just go and subscribe to those. (laughs) Excellent. Well, that was the news. Now it's on to our interview, and earlier I had a great chat with the director of forthcoming PSVR 2 game, CS Smash VRS, Jörg Tittle. As well as talk about the game itself, we discussed the tech opportunities afforded by PlayStation's new headset and virtual reality in general, including its position now and how it can become even more mainstream in the future. Hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did recording it. So, Jörg, why reimagine Cosmic Smash and why does it make for a good VR game? Well, uh, I always thought of Sega as a VR company. Um, I, I've, uh, and maybe I'm a lunatic, but I've been completely immersed um, in their games ever since I sat down in an outrun cabinet in 1986 at a fun fair in Brussels. And uh, and it, it, it was, yeah, I mean, I was essentially sitting inside a VR headset. I mean, you're, you're moving about, you're, you know, the sound is coming from all directions, you know, you're, you're, you're being thrown about even more than, than, uh, than the VR does now. And, uh, and it felt uh, transportive, you know, I felt like I was traveling somewhere. And, and, and that feeling has never left me. I've always wanted to sort of reach for that and try to try to bring that to people. And I've been doing it in theater, I've been doing it in film, et cetera. But, but I've sort of like, if I were to psychoanalyze myself, I, 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 I think I'd understand, I think that was my happy place. And that is my happy place. And so um, that in 1993, Sega announced a VR headset, the Sega VR headset at CES. 
and it was going to cost $200 and it was going to be powered or maybe underpowered by the Genesis or the Mega Drive. And, <laughs> um, and if you look at pictures of that thing, maybe you can put it in the show notes, but that Sega VR headset, like if you were to release it today, people would still think it looks awesome. I mean, it was completely ahead of its time. It had that little sort of turny turn wheel thing to fasten it to your head and all that stuff. It was incredible. And then sadly, I mean, probably some kid in America vomited and then Sega of America got afraid probably that they were, you know, like at law, lawsuits or something. And so they didn't release it in the end. But, but again, when you look at virtual racing, VR um, was flashing up because that was going to be one of the launch titles for it, right? And so, and you look at all that history... Uh, and then, then when the Dreamcast came out, which is also way ahead of its time, it, uh, it it you know took us online. It it popularized online gameplay on consoles. It did all sorts of stuff that you know other companies were playing catch up with. Sadly, the Dreamcast didn't live long. But when Cosmic Smash was announced in Japan in Famitsu Magazine, actually, and I saw that screenshot, I was like, wow, I want to be inside that world. This is this is Sega to me. It means Sega to me. And so I, back in 2001, I already wanted to see this in VR because I always wanted Sega to do VR. Um, so that's a long-winded answer, isn't it? I don't know. It's Did okay. I... Yes, uh, I'm fascinated. Um, and and it, I, I suppose that goes on to my second question, which is explain a bit about Cosmic Smash and why it would work in VR. Well, the, so so the original Cosmic Smash was essentially um, um, Pong meets Breakout in 3D um, with a third-person character that you controlled um, uh, with uh, with either you know your your analog stick or indeed uh, on arcade cabinet uh, <laughs> which I have in the back there. <laughs> Um, and um, yeah and and it was amazing but the one thing that made it special as well was not just the gameplay which is sort of video game in its purest form super arcadey super immediate uh, but with with a lot of complexity to it lots of special moves and trick smashes and other stuff but uh, it was incredibly stylish so everything was reduced down to its essence it was a sort of graphic design driven game and there have been very few of those that have really truly nailed it over the years. You know, of course, Wipeout is an example. Um, you know, Res is very much an example. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, Ridge Racer Type 4 is another great example, especially in the menus. I mean, the graphic design for that was absolutely stunning and still to this day um, pretty much unparalleled. Um, and so I, so it still looks great to this day. So Cosmic Smash looks Timeless, and uh, as indeed uh, does Res, which is why you know it is a launch title on PSVR two, and actually pretty much as for as far as I'm concerned, blows all the other titles out of the water um, still because it it's incredibly stylish and incredibly smartly designed. And so with C Smash, we wanted to take that even further and uh, and really physicalize graphic design, really made you feel. You know, as a sort of palate cleanser to all of the noise out there, um, to really make something that that feels essential and feels hopefully timeless and feels like a space that you want to be inside of, away from all of the troubles of of the day to day, and just feel really good inside your body and inside space and time with incredible music. And so that was that was the plan. That's what we're doing. It's also a multiplayer game, which is quite rare for VR. Um, do you think that we'll see other, you know, other VR multiplayer experiences? Does VR multiplayer really work on a grander scale? 
Well, I mean, our scale is actually very personal because it's one-on-one. -on -one. So we are not go we don't need to populate rooms with masses of players. There have actually been a few examples of the last few weeks, actually, uh, on Quest of uh, especially of, of games, multiplayer games that were even funded by Meta shutting down their servers, um, which is very sad. But at the same time, um, I um, I did we didn't set out to make. A, a entirely multiplayer focused game but at the same time we wanted to make the multiplayer meaningful and personal and and truly social uh and that's something that is missing a lot i mean uh, in uh, in general in multiplayer games especially especially in this world where we're all being pitted against each other all the time in this sort of competitive um sort of ultimately quite unpleasant way um we wanted to make a game that makes you feel good and feels like you're actually hanging out with someone uh, as opposed to um, you know, trying to kick each other's ass and outrank each other, um, and so it's a, it, it's a it's a unique feel. It's because because that's I mean I play squash in real life as well, um, and and I love that sport because I hate doing sport like yeah. you know because it just feels like work. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, um, yeah, so maybe we want to take the work out of the workout. That sounds cool. Um, but, um, no, but I, I just, it, it was squash is cool because you're shoulder to shoulder with someone. Yeah. You're competing technically, but you're having a, you're having a blast. You're having an absolute laugh with each other and, and you can have a conversation, which is, which you can't do in tennis, for instance, where you're sort of grunting and groaning at each other from like 20 meters away. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's just really, really, it, it, it makes online to me feel meaningful and uh meeting someone online and also we'll also have audio activated in the full game so we can actually really have a chat with people etc so while doing it and the music which is dynamic is also adding an incredible element to it because like we did a media event a couple of weeks ago in london uh and people were playing it against each other and dancing at the same time which was <laughs> an unexpected thing to see but you know um but people felt so comfortable within that. and maybe also because you've got the VR headset on, you don't feel judged bizarrely. And so people are, even though they were all in public, they forgot themselves in this entirely. And it was such a joy to watch. It felt like a party. So it's, it's, uh, so it's not a party game, but hopefully you'll feel like you're at the, at, at the best party in space when you're playing it. Does it help that it's on PSVR 2 and therefore PlayStation 5? So that the player has a better mentality of online play than, say, MetaQuest or one of the other headsets, which is which may be picked up by a more casual gamer. Possibly, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I I've never gravitated towards online games uh, very much because I I I never know who I'm going to come across, and I feel like I might just get attacked by a twelve year old and and uh, in in Minnesota or something calling me names. Um, uh, uh, and so, uh, so I, so I think, I mean, PlayStation has hopefully, and I think also the VR audience on PlayStation for that matter, I think will have quite a, um, you know, I think, I think they're nice people. Like I, I, I so, so far I've had a really amazing response on, on Twitter and other socials and stuff to the game from, from PSVR two owners. So it's a really positive community, but I also have to say that, that on, on quest I've, um, because I think it's such a personal device, a VR headset, it's, it's, you know, it's not this sort of alienating sort of screen separation. It's like, it's, it's, you're inside of it it's you 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 feel like it's one with you 
So you, you can no longer just be put, put your sort of alter ego asshole sort of personality. That a lot of people do online in that, you know, I think it removes some of those bizarre sort of distancing barriers that we have uh, and, and flat. Um, I hope I, I hope that, you know, some of these VR communities can be more positive. Um, I and the PlayStation is a freaking great system. I mean, the PlayStation 5 is amazing. The VR headset is the most comfortable out there. Um, PSVR 2. So uh, it made sense for us to to at least start this adventure on that gorgeous device. Are there any other uh, tech aspects of the PSVR two that have particularly impressed you? And what's it like being? Uh, what's it like developing for it? Um, I mean, uh, we w- first of all, it's incredibly powerful, of course, and our game is not graphically intense uh, compared to some that are trying to go for realism. But you'll see it; it's butter smooth, and um, it's it's a butter smooth game, and uh, and that's important to us because we want to because your whole body is inside the game as well. So it's uh, I mean you have hands, not just floaty hands, but you know you have a whole body, <laughs> um, yeah. um, and and to do also to do that also online with another player uh, uh, is is quite the challenge, and it's incredible what Wolf and Wood have pulled off uh, with the network code, etc. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just so crisp, and and it just feels so good to be in something, uh, something so crisp. I mean, when when we uh, projected the footage from the game on a big screen on a massive sort of four K projector, uh, several at, at at our sort of media event the other day, it looked so good, and you, and and it just looked like it, it was a freaking piece of art on screen every time, like a piece of gra- graphic design art. Every single frame looked awesome. It's it's. It feels natural, even though it is such an artificial world that we're building. It feels like you're really one with it, and uh, and and you don't have any of that screen. What is it called? The screen blah effect thing that people talk about. You know, like you don't see pixels or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, just, it's it's uh, and then you've got all the added things such as you know um, haptics and um, and vibrations and all sorts of other cool stuff that that will be taken advantage of more and more. We have a demo coming out next week which will give you a bit of a tease of what's in there. But the full game, uh, whose release will announce after, I mean, next week as well, on, will rena- announce the actual release date on the 23rd of March. Um, uh, there's, there's so much so much cool stuff that we're taking advantage of in, in there. And the audio is also amazing. Like, it's, it's great for 3D sound and all that stuff. I mean, there's, there's all, these are all subtle things. Um, but once you put it on, you just feel one with it. And, and they've pulled it off, PlayStation, yeah. I mean, you mentioned the, the the Sega prototype headset before, and also around that same time, roughly, I think it was, we had W Industries with VR and a few other, few other examples, and we've had quite a lot of almost moments over the years. With PSVR 2 and, um, and PlayStation's continued commitment to the technology, do you think we're finally at a pivotal moment? Do you think we're finally about to break through? I mean, I I actually feel that we broke through with PlayStation VR one, and I think we I think they broke through with uh, with Quest two. I mean, Quest two has sold as many um, uh, units as Xbox Series X and S. So um, the fact that a lot of them are gathering dust because there's not enough games that pull people back to them, whereas you can at least use your Xbox for Netflix. Uh, <laughs> 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 um, uh, is uh, Netflix box. Um, 
is 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 another thing. But but it is. I, I think VR is what well, is definitely already. It's not just on the map, and it hasn't. It, it has certainly arrived, right? The, the thing that is strange in today's world is that we are all uh, without unknowingly um, sort of acting as PR people for big tech hardware companies. So we're just going like, oh, it's not mainstream. It's not working out. And it's like it's 20 million units. Like how, how many things do you need to sell before it's considered <laughs> a success? Like, like, does everything have to be an iPhone? Like, I, I don't know. Um, I don't think so. Like I'm... Um, Maybe maybe VR right now is more of a sort of slightly more luxury car. Maybe it's not a golf yet, right? Um, but uh, but it is it is popular, um, and and developers are um, living off of it. So you know, I, I'd rather be you know a must-have, must-own game on a smaller you know set of devices. Um, where, where, where people are looking for something that's really, truly new and truly innovative and truly beautiful and truly creative, most importantly, than uh, sort of get lost in a sea of sort of endless thumbnails and steam, you know. Speaking about big tech, do you think that um, the likes of Apple and that need to come into the market to, for their own benefit rather than, rather than anything else? As you say, it's, uh, it's only going to grow from here. Well, I mean, they are they are about to enter the market at Apple with their sort of AR device, whatever that's going to be. Um, I hear it's going to use hand tracking as its sort of main feature and and all that stuff. And of course, like it's it's unavoidable that we will all you know uh, get you know more and more physical within these digital realities uh, because we're already essentially living within a digital reality anyway, right? I mean. It's, uh, I mean, where uh, you watch people, they can't even cross the road without looking at their freaking Google map anymore. It's absurd. But, you know, I mean, so, um, so I think uh, they're, they're all entering it. It's just like they're just waiting for the right moment for it to be not feel clunky and not feel too techy and not feel too special, special, specialized. And, and then it's, that, that's been the sort of thing that's been holding VR back a little bit that it still feels, it feels like, it, it's felt like work to actually set it up, you know. And then, of course, Quest removed a lot of these barriers. And then the pandemic helped with that because people were stuck at home and it's like, ah, well, I'd, I'd rather be inside Beat Saber or whatever than, you know, uh, yeah. you know look, look at ambulances and police curfews and whatever. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I think it's they're all going to be entering it. Uh, but some of them are waiting to see what sticks and what the norms are because they don't want to take risks and that's that's fine but uh immersive narrative and interactive um and emotional spaces are definitely the future of everything so it's a matter of time just a good time to be in at, in at the uh, the ground level I think so. I mean, to me, it's a dream because to me, it's the ultimate art form. You know, I mean, video games already have been, you know, and I've always, you know, I was studying theater uh, at New York University back in 1997, um, you know, while also writing for video game magazines for Next Generation magazine and others at the time. And and to me, it felt so natural to have these two worlds combined, you know, to be mm -hmm. in immersive physical spaces on stage and at the same time, you um, 
you know, then dive into them uh, uh, in, in video games. And I knew that, you know, I, and I've been, I was saying it back then to everyone and people thought I was a nutcase, but I was saying, this is what, this is, this, one day I'll bring it all together. You know, that was always my goal. Um, uh, and so uh, I'm, I'm happy to be part of this, uh, this group of people. I mean, Ryan Bousfield, the creative director of Wolf and Wood is, is one of the true sort of current generation VR pioneers. Uh, you know, he's invented like a lot of the mechanics that we now take for granted in games. I mean, even in Horizon, uh, Call of the Mountain, you know, when you're in your boat and you're leaning and the boat starts to wobble. I mean, he did that in, you know, Chan Room, you know, um, you know, now almost a decade ago. Um, and people go like, oh, wow, that's so immersive. You know, it's like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, but uh, but he's like he's he's a few steps ahead. And, uh, and you know, so even in The Last Worker, we have full body IK. I mean, you, you have, uh, you know, you have, you know, your, your elbows and your hands and everything are, are beautifully articulated. And now in C-Smash, we're taking it even further. And so your whole body inside of it. And I just cannot wait for uh, for us to also then integrate things such as AI and such as sort of uh, uh, in, in order to uh, create worlds that seem to live and breathe and, and talk to you and, and, and uh, interact with you in new ways. I'm, I'm freaking psyched, man. I think it's, uh, it's going to be otherworldly, the kind of stuff people can do. And I'm really surprised that there's so few um, sort of truly meaningful narrative experiences in VR as well. It's like, hopefully we've pulled that off with the last worker uh, or the game, but it's like, it's, it's crazy because it's like, it's the ultimate form of immersive theater to be inside VR. And so, and for that to then also become interactive is even more thrilling. And for it to have real gameplay elements, like actual proper, you know, not just a walking simulator, but a proper game. To be inside narrative spaces like that and have character talk to you and to see yourself as another character within that. It's just, it's freaking awesome. You know, it's amazing. It's magical. So yeah, I'm, I, 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 I love this space very much. And finally, now it's time to reveal this week's Pocket Limp product of the week. And considering Samsung launched a couple of phones this week, it's more than likely it's going to be one of them. But which one? So, Chris, after that build-up, what's your Pocket Lint product of the week? Yes, the Pocket Lint product of the week is the Samsung Galaxy A54, which has just been announced. I believe it is now available for pre-order, if you're listening on the, on the 17th. Um, it is a new mid-range handset. It, it sits underneath the, uh, the S23 Plus. But the interesting thing about this phone is that the design has shifted from last year, so it looks exactly the same as the flagship model. So if you're one of those people who doesn't want to buy the cheaper phone because you think people will point and laugh and say, ha-ha, you bought the cheap phone, this solves your problems because pretty much no one will be able to tell the difference. Um, yeah, so first impressions are great. Obviously, you haven't had the chance to review the whole thing fully, but the basic essentials of this phone, the display, the battery, and the main camera, I suspect, are going to be more than enough to satisfy most people. It certainly looks the real deal. Um, you also saw the A34 at the same time. If people have got that sort of like um, th that confusion on which one to buy, what what is it about the A54 that really makes it stand apart? 
The A54 is slightly higher spec than the A34, so you, you pay a little bit extra for it. But the, um, but the thing that really makes it stand apart is that one has a punch hole for the front cam camera and the other one has a notch. And maybe I'm being a little bit snobby, but I think the notch now looks pretty dated, so that immediately makes it look like a cheaper phone, whereas the punch hole is kind of standard. It's what you get on all the flagships. Um, so that would be the one i go for. I mean, the A54 is, across the board, a more powerful device the battery life is is more or less the same, but the core um, the core internals are slightly more powerful. The cameras are slightly better, and it has a slightly more premium build because it has a glass back instead of plastic. And I think the other thing is, if you were in the market for a Galaxy S twenty three, would you consider the A fifty four instead? I would consider it because the A fifty four is pretty much the same size as the S23 Plus. But there is, of course, a, a gulf in performance between these devices. Um, I don't know how big that gulf is, but the experience of the flagship phone is naturally going to be better. It has a better set of cameras on the back. It has a better display. It has more powerful hardware inside. So if your main focus is going to be on gaming and you're a really big mobile gamer, then you will want the more powerful device. But for day-to-day -day use, if you just spend your time in in Gmail or using Google Maps, it's really not going to make a huge difference. And you may find that the, the cheaper phone is just better for you. Excellent. Thanks, Chris. That was your uh, Pocket Lint product of the week. And that's it for this episode of the Pocket Lint podcast. A huge thanks for Chris for taking us through this week's stories and products. It was a pleasure to be here. And so please join us again next time and also visit pocketlint.com for all the tech and games news, reviews, buyer's guides and roundups from the entire team. Plus, you can also sign up for our daily newsletter, which will deliver current stories and more to your email inbox each weekday. Until then, please give us your feedback on the Pocketlint socials or podcast platform of your choice. I've been Rick Henderson. Toodle pip.